Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's August 11th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew House Barbie and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin? Doing well, Matt. Uh, currently in San Francisco and getting a bit of a break from that hot weather <laughs> in Texas that I know you've been well, getting a listen. good taste of in the UK as well. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I feel like we have like our consistent weather report on the podcast now, but <laughs> yeah, sorry. it is absolutely roasting here in the in London. Uh, I'm like had to move into a different room because like my AC unit was just like dying inside my my office room. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, everything is melting in London <laughs> basically. Um, speaking of melting, we have some big meltdowns in the crypto space. Um, we got a lot of big stories, especially as they pertain to big sanctions imp- imposed by the US. Uh, we're going to dig into that. It's a big story. Um, bunch of stuff course where we'll be talking about coinbase um and an interesting story coming out of tiffany's where they've been selling real diamond crusted nfts we'll jump into that right after this if you're struggling to get your head around the complexity of decentralized finance i have something just for you Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view or just want to better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. Okay, the first story of the day is a big one. It's that the the US, uh, more specifically, uh, OFAC, so that's the Office of Foreign Assets Control, has imposed sanctions on the cryptocurrency mixer Tornado Cash. The rationale behind this was they were accusing it of kind of helping hackers, in particular the North Korean Lazarus group, they, they mentioned that and called that out specifically, to launder proceeds from their cyber crimes. So... For those of you that aren't familiar with Tornado Cash, effectively what it is is you put cryptocurrency into it, it mixes it, and comes out the other end with no traceable um, way of showing which wallet initially deposited it. So on one side, there are some really good privacy benefits or to Tornado Cash. Clearly, on the other side, it is probably the de facto um, mixer that's used for kind of laundering or obfuscating the, the, the chain of crypto. But it's particularly uh, relevant here that, you know, that the, the US has moved in and created sanctions because there's been a, a knock-on effect here. So all $437 million worth, uh, at least at the time of the recording, of the assets have been frozen. This is a mixture of like stable coins, ETH, and uh, wrapped BTC, uh, wrapped Bitcoin, so WBTC. Um, so what I want to call out here is, at this point, it is illegal for any US person to engage in trade, economic transactions, or I quote, like other dealings with any person, company, or country on the sanctions list. 
this now includes Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash is on the US sanctions list, which is a big deal because when when you take a look at some of the assets that Tornado Cash hold, <clears throat> like wrapped BTC, well, the creator of that is BitGo, and BitGo is a US entity. USDC, the second largest stablecoin, is owned and created by Circle, a US entity. And USDT, of course, the largest stablecoin owned by Tether, another US entity. They're all going to be compelled to take kind of technical steps or any other steps to block anyone from transferring uh, from the, the blacklisted assets. And th the hands really are tied here. And there's already, this has kind of been in motion. So Circle, who owns USDC, is actually able to freeze USDC uh, from banned addresses at the smart contract level. So if you owned USDC and it came from Tornado Cash and your address was blacklisted, you could you cannot in any way transfer, move that USDC. It's completely frozen. That's done at the, the, the smart contract level. And... Um, Tether also has that exact same ability to freeze the smart contract level. They've done this already. You can actually see there's some good June dashboards uh, that show the number of uh, frozen uh, addresses, blacklist addresses from Circle and from Tether. And even at like the RPC level, the likes of Alchemy and Infura are blocking RPC requests through to Tornado Cash. So th this is pretty enormous and uh, has obviously sparked a huge debate around censorship. Um, and <clears throat> I think like there's just a lot of really interesting questions that come up about this. I mean, we, you and I, Austin, we were talking on Discord, weren't we, about, you know, what, what happens here. So, of course, if you have USDC or Tether or Wrapped, uh, as, well, at least USDC and Tether, they can be prevented from being transferred at the smart contract level. Well, the ETH that's in uh, Tornado Cash, that isn't um, frozen in the same sense. It's completely blacklisted. And if that's transferred to any other address, that address will be blacklisted. I kind of sent you a message. And I was like, Austin, what happens if, you know, these just start getting sent to legitimate addresses? Do those addresses get blacklisted? And we were kind of chatting a little bit about this. Um, and then guess what? That exact... <laughs> thing has happened yeah. so someone has been sending like 0.1 or 0.01 eth from tornado cash to a ton of like known eth addresses like completely docs people like brian armstrong ceo of coinbase ben horowitz the the vc jimmy fallon like shaquille o'neal like all of these addresses logan paul just, matt logan paul logan paul how did i <laughs> how did i forget the most important person of all logan paul of course um so like so all of these have been tainted i guess now so the real question is how is this going to be treated and how, how do they impose some of these sections at, the, at that level i mean even if you take a look at like okay well what happens if like an ethereum miner validates a block that has a transaction from an address on the sanctions list are they committing a, a criminal offense by technically facilitating that transaction? Um, I mean, technically, it seems so. But I think it's it's going to be tough to see, obviously, like the enforcement side of some of this. But there's 
there's risk that comes with that. What I think, I, I saw some good discussion around that piece in particular, and I think many people are thinking that Ethereum will push like a change in the client to just simply skip any of these transactions automatically. But I think for me, overall, this does show how much of the kind of decentralized world that we're operating in in crypto has pretty significant centralized points. And um, I'll actually say I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, sanctions lists are there for a reason, whether you agree with the tornado cash thing or not. Um, but, you know, is it is it a good thing that countries that are on a sanctions list can bypass sanctions by using crypto? I don't know if that is a good thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one, but I think this is one of the most high profile examples of this that we've had today, Austin, right? Yeah, it really is. And I think that you're right to say that there is, uh, you know, there's definitely two sides to this, both of which I think are fairly easy to see. Um, I mean, there are, you know, from the side of opposition, you've got folks like Eric Voorhees, uh, you know, talking about the the tyranny of the U.S. government sanction list and um, the you know surveillance and privacy implications that this has, and yeah, how this goes against the spirit of a decentralized technology. On the other hand, I do think it's fairly safe to assume that um, most of the entities on on the sanctions list, your average American would be glad are there and that are you know prevented <laughs> from. Uh, you know, engaging in commerce with U.S. entities and, you know, by way of that influencing our economics and our politics and everything, at least, you know, it, it doesn't totally shut it down, but at least dampens it to a bit. Um, mm. At the same time, I think that your point about the attack vector, um, you know, where, where you have these uh, people that are sending effectively tainted ETH <laughs> to um, yeah. doxed wallets. It's, it is really interesting. I mean, on the one hand, it, I think it could be viewed as a troll, right? Um, on the other yeah. hand, it, it is kind of a way to demonstrate how difficult it's going to be for the U.S. government to enforce its ban on a mixing service like Tornado Cash. Mm -hmm. um, and perhaps, you know, even kneecap their ability to do so. I mean, uh, uh, there are likely going to be ways around this, but I don't think there's going to be a perfect solution. And undoubtedly, um, it's it's going to be complex, right? I mean, e I, I think I even yeah. saw yesterday that Vitalik was saying that he had used Tornado Cash or, or at least engaged with it um, when he was mm -hmm. do donating to the Ukraine crypto donation uh, Ethereum address. So basically like donating to help <laughs> in the UK, Ukraine and uh, yeah. uh, Russia war, um, he had, you know, interacted with what is now considered to be a criminal address. So how how does that play out? You know, uh, it's really interesting, isn't it? The, the the blood kind of like lines in, in a lot of this and the, the fog that kind of surrounds it. I mean, the, even anyone that had pushed a commit through GitHub to Tornado Cash has had their GitHub account completely frozen, right? So like th there was a huge amount, like there was a grants program and like anyone that received from that immediately has had like all of their assets like blacklisted. So there's a, it's far reaching in, in this respect. Um, I mean, I, I, I've obviously known about Tornado Cash for a long time and 
it, it, it wasn't that long ago, about a month ago, where I was kind of just like curious about how it all worked. I was like, oh, I might just like test a transaction. I am really glad I didn't do that. Yeah. Now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's little things like this where it's, it's very difficult to, to determine the intent behind usage. Um, and similarly, it's a, it's a big challenge where you say, okay, it, it kind of comes back to the Bitcoin is used only by criminals of like the early kind of, uh, argument around it. It's like, well, a mixing service is, is only being used to, to launder money. I don't think that's the case. I think it's safe to say that a big chunk of that was was certainly um, one of the big use cases. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that at least 10, 20 million worth of the Ronin Bridge hack by the Lazarus Group was funneled through Tornado Cash. That said, um, you know, there are obviously other use cases. It It's a very difficult one to, to figure out, but we'll definitely be staying on top of this. I think in particular, seeing how some of these um, doxed addresses that have received Tornado Cash ETH, um, uh, what comes of that, and if there's an official statement around it, um, and we'll we'll follow up in in the coming weeks. But without further ado, let's jump into our second story of the day. BlackRock is going to be offering crypto for institutional investors through Coinbase Prime. This is really interesting. Big development, obviously some big names coming together here. And effectively what it's going to enable is mutual customers of Coinbase and BlackRock's investment management platform, which is called Aladdin, are going to have access to crypto trading, custody, prime brokerage and reporting capabilities. And the access for this is going to come through Coinbase Prime, which is uh, an existing integrated trading solution for institutional crypto investors that Coinbase has built. Um, This is some big news, right, Matt? I mean, I, I think that when this news came out last week, the initial thought was that it was probably going to have a pretty good effect on Coinbase's stock performance, but also maybe the crypto market as a whole that hasn't yeah i mean coinbase stock absolutely pumped on the news of this um i mean where we're sitting today there's been a pullback but i think that's for a whole separate reason but you know it's uh it it was it was pretty bullish uh for in general in the market yeah with that said, that that pump hasn't really held on, unfortunately. Coinbase has posted a $1 billion net loss in Q2 as of their earnings call. Their trading volume had fallen by 29% since last quarter. I think this is somewhat predictable, but it turns out it's actually worse than what analysts were expecting. So the stock did go down 74% from its peak of $342 to $72. But I was just checking this morning and it was trading somewhere around $90. So it has recovered a bit. But nevertheless, yeah. um, their transacting users amount is down by about 2.2% quarter over quarter, although it is up by, I want to say like 200,000 
uh, transacting users year over year. But of course, there was huge growth that happened between Q2 of 2021 and now uh, that is now receding. And that's why the market is responding. Um, They also have less assets that are being kept on the platform, about 63% lower uh, than last quarter. Probably probably a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) That may not necessarily be, I mean, it's bad news for Coinbase, but actually when I read that, I, I was like, oh, that actually like, kind of makes me feel a little bit better about how people are managing their crypto. Um, yeah, lower trading volume. Uh, so over 50% lower trading volume quarter over quarter. And then they also have uh, lower revenue coming in about 64% lower. Plus there's just more skepticism and fear in the retail market in general. I think that as folks saw the crypto mark meltdown that happened, um, you know, the mentality has changed in a lot of ways. And I mean, you know, for Matt, you and I and a lot of people listening to us right now, we've been through this before. It may not be quite as terrifying to us as people that entered crypto over the course of the last couple of years and and haven't really seen something that, you know, resembles a crypto winter before. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you entered, if you entered the crypto space near the tail end of last year, the the likelihood is you interacted with Coinbase um, as your, first port of call. It's a brand new person. Maybe you bought some ETH and then started buying a load of other random stuff. Um, and now you're wrecked, right? Like, and I, I think it's hard to detach Coinbase from crypto from that experience for probably a lot of new retail investors. So they're probably bearing the brunt of, uh, of a lot of that. Yeah. On top of this, of course, Coinbase has had a bit of a rough India launch. They've got this SEC securities related probe that we covered uh, a couple weeks ago. So they've had some rough waters, but they are betting on staking ahead of the Ethereum merge, which I think is something to pay attention to here. Specifically, uh, according to what they were talking about in their earnings call, they're actually aiming to be the top provider of staking services. And Brian Armstrong had said, and I quote, any given quarter, crypto could be up or down. It's important to distinguish between what is in our control and what's out of our control, which I think is fair. Um, yeah, yeah, and this is this is an offering that actually Coinbase has already supported for quite some time, and really is just building upon and, and is signaling that this is going to be fairly central to their strategy going forward. Currently, Coinbase does offer staking rewards for Ethereum, Algorand, Cosmos, Tezos, and even more recently, they expanded out to Cardano in March and Solana in June. And this month, they began offering staking to institutional investors through Coinbase Prime, that offering that we were talking about yeah. at the start of this story. So, yeah, I, I well, think I it's... Well, I think, like, the, the, the merge, the merge is, is definitely getting some big traction. I mean, it's helped. I mean, we had yesterday uh, the new inflation numbers come through, which were significantly marked down from the, the previous... Um, numbers that we had. So I think it was 8.5% was US inflation down from 9.1%. ETH notably up around 10% on that news. Uh, so I think along with obviously equity markets and, and everything alongside it. And with the upcoming merge in September, I imagine that um, I, I can imagine that Coinbase is going to do some pretty significant trading volume if this kind of momentum keeps up during that time. So I, I I have a feeling that uh, this quarter is going to be a bit of a better quarter for Coinbase, but they they still have a lot of challenges ahead for sure. Yeah, yeah, certainly, and and a better quarter I think you know would not be 
um, difficult to achieve in comparison to how Q2 has gone for them. It, it was a rough one. Yeah. But uh, with that said, in Q2, 67% of their monthly transacting users did engage with what they're calling non-investing products. That includes staking, but it's not clear how much of that is staking. Regardless, what they're mm. wanting to signal here is that they are seeing traction uh, in this space. So definitely something to keep an eye on as Coinbase seeks to stabilize itself during crypto winters now and going forward. But... With that said, up next, got some interesting stories coming out of Tiffany's and Starbucks related to Web3. So this is the news that Tiffany's has just sold around $12.5 million worth, 7,500 ETH. Uh, in 20 minutes, they, they generated those from sales of their custom-made CryptoPunk pendants. So these are like physical pendants that they build out. They're like diamond-crusted. Each of them cost uh, around $50,000 each. I think that's about that was about 30 ETH at the time. Um, and you, know, you had to verify ownership of your CryptoPunk to then be eligible for the sale. So you could only buy one if you had a CryptoPunk. But they also capped, obviously there's 10,000 CryptoPunks. They capped the the sale of the pendants to 250 um so then uh you not only did you have to own a crypto punk you also had to then pay an additional 30 eth on top of that for this um what, what i thought was so so i think that's interesting and the fact that that sold out so quickly I, I i think we might see more deals like this happen across like the nft space but what i thought was particularly interesting about this is as part of this uh, when you verified your ownership of the CryptoPunk and you signed uh, kind of like the, the transaction to uh, purchase the pendant, what the punk holders had done there was um, they, they technically commissioned Tiffany's to use the IP they own as a punk holder to create this physical product. And um, I, was, I was reading an article from Noah Davis, which is CryptoPunk's uh, brand lead. He's like relatively new in. I think he was like previously at Christie's as one of like the head of digital sales. We did a lot of the NFT stuff there. And he said, in this instance, owners of CryptoPunks are essentially commissioning Tiffany's to create new IP out of their CryptoPunk. And that new IP is a pendant. You have to own the CryptoPunk in order to own the IP for the pendant, which I, th I just thought was like very, very interesting. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to what we're going to see more across here. Maybe we're going to see a bored ape Tesla, you know, like who <laughs> knows. But um, I do think that Yuga Labs are clearly they're trying to throw a bone to um, the, the CryptoPunks community since uh, since acquiring them in. But it, it's one of the like examples of a, of a use case of that IP <clears throat> to uh, turn into like a physical product and add some more utility uh, alongside the NFTs themselves, um, which I thought was very, very interesting. And similarly, in kind of interesting spots, Starbucks have been doing something new with their, uh, their, their rewards program, right? Yeah, so Starbucks is going to unveil its Web3-based rewards program next month. This is really interesting. It looks like it's going to include coffee-themed NFTs, um, and these are they as refreshing as a real coffee? <laughs> That's what I want to know. 
I have to doubt, but I I, I think that what <laughs> what's compelling about this is um, that basically these collectibles, you know, okay, a coffee themed NFT, whatever, but it it the, they will be an extension of customer loyalty, which Starbucks, mm. which I think is alongside Apple, one of the the largest neo banks in the world and has really gotten that down and their loyalty, their customer loyalty has been a big part of that. If you've ever used the Starbucks app, you know, you charge up, yeah. uh, you put money into the Starbucks app. I think I was reading that like at any given time, they, they have like over a billion dollars that they're holding on to um, through. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's an interest-free loan, Matt. Like it's, yeah. it's unbelievable. That's amazing. Um, and their their customer loyalty programs have played a really significant role in this. You know, you earn the stars and then you can get free coffees as a result of it. So it encourages you to use the app for loyalty and also to charge up and put funds into the app. It's sort of this nice reinforcing ecosystem. And in fact, that... Coffee, sta- coffee staking, I think is what they should rebrand <laughs> yeah. this to. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, that, that in particular, Starbucks mobile order and pay, it's been one of their biggest successes. In fact, it was something that, um, you know, really caused the company to recover and and rebound when it was in a much worse state financially several years ago. Uh, They were one of the first to introduce the concept of a digital wallet, actually. And it was even before Afterpay uh, became ubiquitous that, that they were doing this. So, uh, it's unsurprising that their mobile ordering sales mix has grown to a record high of 47% last quarter. So almost half Oof. of their sales yeah. are coming in from mobile orders. Yeah. Um, so it's. A, I really but, didn't know this. This, uh, this is kind of fascinating. It's really something else, man. Um, anyway, the, this is significant because, uh, you know, you've, you've got a lot of money that's tied up there, a lot of usage, a huge brand. Um, and these customers that earn stars with purchases in the app or, or Starbucks stores, uh, now it looks like they'll be able to translate these not just into tangible rewards like free drinks which they've they've been able to do for years now but the nfts will be incorporated into that transaction as part of this now it's not totally clear what that's going to look like or how that's going to work that's something that's going to be unveiled at next month's investor day event but certainly i think an interesting development here to see big brands like tiffany's and starbucks diving into this space definitely very interesting. Making me thirsty. Uh, I like it. Right. Let's jump into the wrap up. Moondao, the decentralized autonomous organization that I quote has its mission of partying on the moon, has <laughs> taken one bold step for Daokind in sending someone to space. Yes, that is right. The Dow voted to send, I mean, the logical choice for anyone you would want to bring into space to explore our galaxy. Uh, the YouTube influencer Kobe Cotton of Dude per- Perfect. So they voted on this via governance. They, um, they acquired two tickets on... Uh, Jeffrey's Blue Origin um, spacecraft, <laughs> and they launched Kobe all the way up into space. Um, I mean, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but I am here for it, and I love yeah. it. I was laughing out loud when I was reading about this. <laughs> I, I, I mean, 
<laughs> Moon Moondow doesn't take itself too seriously, but you know their their plan is to explore the galaxy. Um, so I don't know. I I saw a pretty great um kind of like flag that they they had as as uh Kobe was about to be like shipped off into into the into the into the craft, and it was like uh Moondow to the moon, right? It's like <laughs> okay, well this is actually like the first time I've actually heard a a, a crypto coin like this uh, with maybe a legit backing. But anyway, I thought that was a fun light story, uh less fun light story hotbit the pretty significantly large crypto exchange certainly not a top 10 but um up there is like a pretty big one has suspended trading deposits and all withdrawals after senior managers have been subpoenaed for allegedly violating criminal laws we we as we're recording this is kind of breaking right now so we don't have a huge amount of information on this but yet Another scandal happening, and I just hope that any of those Hotbit users holding funds in there can kind of get away safely from, from some of this. But uh, not great news uh, to, to that. I'm sure, Austin, you have got some really nice warming news to follow up on that, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, you bet. So, hey, Canada, their second largest pension fund, it looks like they're tangled up in the Celsius collapse. This is gnarly. Um, they It turns out they invested $150 million in Celsius nine months before. What? They did, yeah, I know. I mean, maybe it didn't well, seem like pension funds yeah. are, are, are making $150 million investments in Celsius. Yeah. That is interesting. Okay. Well, <laughs> they, they, as of 2021, they had $419 billion in assets. Obviously, they also have a lot of obligations, yeah. but that is a large number. Um, regardless, they yeah. invested $150 million in Celsius nine months before the bankruptcy. They were actually one of two lead investors. The other was a venture oh. capital firm, Westcap, and uh, they invested $400 million in Celsius Series B funding round, which... Uh, Gave them actually a $3 billion evaluation um, at the time. And wow. it looks like Celsius isn't going to get that money back. So unsurprisingly, the AMF and OSC, which are regulatory bodies in Canada, have begun a joint investigation with the SEC to look into the economic fallout of the Celsius bankruptcy case within their respective territories. So more to come there. <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean it's uh it's it's not great. I mean it's going to be a lot that's kind of falling out here. I mean we've got BlockFi as well. You know they had six hundred million in crypto loans not covered by collateral in in Q two. It seems like they've loaned out uh, around one point eight billion dollars and held only one point two billion in collateral. Hmm, that doesn't add up. Uh, funnily <laughs> enough, uh, this is this is according to their Q2 2022 transparency report, which I'm sure was very uh, much a nice illuminating read. Um, but on top of that, you know, BlockFi liquidated collateral related to 3AC debt last month. So we're, we're seeing this kind of contagion spread. I'm sure we're going to continue to hear more and more. It's really difficult for us not to talk about the likes of uh, Celsius, BlockFi, 3AC, but slowly and surely those things seem to get wrapped up. Um, yeah, it's right, interesting. I, I, I was even 
I was even reading um, this morning that SBF was talking about, you know, uh, potentially taking a $70 million plus loss with their Voyager Capital bailout, speaking about it just like very sort of casually. And then at the same time, it it looks like there's there's maybe over a billion dollars tied up uh, in debt and bailout between Voyager Capital and Alameda Research, uh, which is Mm. related to... Um, SBF and yeah, that's and SBF's fund. Yeah, yeah. So interesting things continue to come out of the these three uh, AC bankruptcy, Celsius defaults, so on and so forth. But we do have some positive news. Uh, the Ethereum name service, uh, its domain registrations have hit an all-time high as the merge is approaching. So it looks like domain ownership has surpassed 1.8 million names with 370. Wow. 8,000 of those uh, being registered in July alone. It's exciting. Wow, that's a that's pretty incredible. That's a huge amount in July. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, yeah, so according to ENS, $6.8 million has uh, come in in protocol revenue, and all of that goes to the Dow. Uh, 5,400 ETH has come in in revenue. That's their highest ever month. It's around $8.8 million. And uh, they've got 48,000 new ETH accounts with at least one ENS domain. And and that uh, levels up to a total of 508,000. And uh, they are representing greater than 99% of OpenSea domain volume. So, yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's uh, they... OpenSea must be absolutely loving that. I I did see. I mean, they they are the NFT. I, it's, it's tough to really call them an NFT project, but as far as like the actual ENS domains, they have by far and away the largest holders of any NFT that that exists. Um, me myself and you, I know we've 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 both been interested in the ENS uh, project probably since its inception. I'm sure we covered it at one point back in 2018. Um, but yeah, it's great. I love it. I'm 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 interested in what like the play here is on speculating around the merge and that there must be a reason. Some a lot of people know some something that we don't, Austin, which is often the case. <laughs> but hey, uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I think that's pretty much what we've got time for today. Um, I'll also just add a little plug here. We've got some really great interview episodes coming out, some special double weekly episodes coming out. Um, the next one is on Monday where we chat to a super interesting project called End State where they're building physical NFT, uh, sorry, physical sneakers with an NFT counterpart. Um, and they're kind of like blending this mix between physical and digital products. And then the following week, uh, we talk with Wagme United, which was uh, a, a project, a Web3 project. They raised a bunch of capital and they acquired a UK-based uh, soccer team in the fourth tier of English football. So that was an honestly a super interesting conversation. Uh, I'm excited for us to launch that one out. Um, but make sure you join into those. And until then, we will see you all next week. Good talking to you, Austin. Catch you next week. See you, Matt.
The contents of the Decrypting Crypto podcast should not be used and are not intended as investment advice. Please do your own due diligence before making any investment, cryptocurrency or otherwise.